Welcome to Help from Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I am still your Keyforge friend. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I have been absent from these parts for some time. So just to remind you, my friends call me Alex. You can call me that. And I am joined this week by your regular Help from Future Self hosts, SC Steele. Hello, hello. And Blake. Hey, what's going on? And my homie, the Wheeling Keyforger, back again with me for this episode. Rick, what's going on, pal? Hey, man, what's up? It is so good to be back here and help from Future Self Town. Um, for for a little while, uh, I've been uh, chatting with uh, with Blake and Sydney and Rick and trying to figure out a time when you know Rick and I could make our return to chat about a little bit of Keyforge. We've been absent from the podcast, and I think in both in my uh, Rick and my case, absent from the game for a little while. But with everything that's been going on, it seemed like this would be a really good moment for us to return and chit-chat a little bit about Keyforge as we experienced it, um, as we perceive it now, as folks who are a little bit removed from where we were when this podcast started and, you know, I I guess where it might be going. But I kind of need to defer to our regular hosts because they're the subject matter experts and now I'm I'm the one with questions. So, Blake Sidney. What's going on in Keyforge? Oh my gosh, I'm so <laughs> excited you guys are back. And one of the really cool things about this episode is I'm really interested to see like what out of everything that's happened since you guys have been in the game has like is going to be the most surprising or is going to be the like biggest impact to you whereas like those of us that have like been getting these like little teeny bits of information one at a time like everything's been a big deal, you know? And so some of those things are just going to be, you know, when you squash it all together, only one or two things are really going to stick out. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, to to give folks who might not be familiar with myself and Rick, we were we were sort of the 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 original trio of Help for Future Self was Blake, myself, and Rick, and then you know I I ran into some stuff in my personal life where I basically had to step back from the game and step back from the podcast um, for for various reasons. Um, so I think it was like literally two weeks or like not even two weeks. Like I did my farewell episode and like three days later, the ghost galaxy announcement happened. And I was like, dang, I should have waited. You foreshadowed uh, it. <laughs> um, so that was obviously like the first huge, bis- a big piece of news. Um, despite not like going to places where Keyforge is being played. Although I've had a couple of opportunities locally, there was a couple of things going on at various local stores that I was invited to that I was hoping to make it to, but in various cases, I just wasn't able to for, because of other commitments. So all of my news I'm getting is from like Reddit where I'm still subscribed to the regular, like the Keyforge community and like Facebook posts. Um, and then occasionally like emails from ghost galaxy, which has been great. So, you know, I, I monitored it all through like the, the fundraising, Um, uh, I monitored basically the announcements about the return to organized play that just happened uh, very recently. Um, and that's kind of like the, the information that I've been going on that and reading like cards as the spoilers were posted. So when, when y'all were, uh, were doing episodes about, I, I dropped in a couple of times to hear you talk about new cards from the new set. Um, but there's still lots of questions I have because my picture of all this is like Keyforge is back. There's a new company that's prioritizing it. Awesome. But I have like five things that I want to know about. But before I get into that, Rick, 
I'm here. So where have you been at with the game? Um, I'm still doing sealed online with the AC guys. Um, other than that, my interest has still been there, but with not many IRL uh, events, and I'm actually not a fan at all of the Alliance. My brain just doesn't work that way. Um, I've been just doing other things, and I've become now a very, very avid player of Marvel Snap. So that's been filling my time most of the time. So, well, that's but a fantastic. I've, that's a fantastic transition. So you mentioned Alliance, and that's one of the things that like newly came on the scene, completely and totally like unannounced, and and people over the course of the interviews that ghost galaxy was giving right before they announced it, like people were picking up the little tidbits of they were dropping hints. Like we hope people don't hate us for some of the decisions we're making. And, and those are the kinds of things that now that we're so far into Alliance being a thing that are already completely lost to the ether. So Mm -hmm. Alliance being what it is, are you familiar enough to give an opinion or do you want me to explain it? Well, why don't, I say what my understanding Love of Alliance it. is, and then you guys can correct me on this because I read a lot of like when the when Alliance was first announced, I read a lot of like opinions on it, but most of those opinions were just like, you know what Alliance is. Here are my thoughts on it rather than here is what Alliance is in great detail um, before actually uh, going on about why it was a good or a bad thing. So my understanding is that it is basically, um, allowing for a, a constructed format, except that you have to pick houses from decks. And I believe there's a limit in to the decks that it can be chosen from. Like you get three decks in a tournament or in a live play scenario and you pick and choose which houses you're going to combine. Is that correct? You basically knocked it out of the park. There's a few teeny tiny details where for sealed Alliance, you, uh, so far currently the rules is written, you get two decks. Um, and then, yeah, you pick houses. They cannot overlap. So you can't have mm-hmm. two of the same house. And then yeah. it's also within set. So um, you're you're not going to be able to pick two decks that are out of set and make your deck together. Okay. So my dream of triple brobs uh, <laughs> is just never going to happen. It's hey, 36 it can, great Brobnar cards. They in exist. unofficial play, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so- Here are my thoughts initially. When I first heard about Alliance, my thought was, this is a bold move from the new stewards of the game. And it's hard for me to tell based on this, because that announcement came relatively early in Ghost Galaxy's stewardship. Is this a, we're trying to broaden the player base by offering some aspect of build your own um, which is, of course, one of those things that we always talked about as being very central to Keyforge, like the idea of you open up a deck and that deck is that, and you have to learn that deck. You have to be able to play that deck, um, which is why uh, formats like Sealed um, were, were such a, a, an amazing and integral part of the Keyforge experience for such a long time. And so my idea was, if you're eschewing that, if you're like allowing some customization, that's probably going to be a little more broadly appealing, but is that so? Is this a money driven decision or a marketing driven decision rather than a gameplay driven decision? And everything that I have read and heard about Ghost Galaxy since that time has been they seem extremely enthusiastic about Keyforge. This is not just a thing that they, you know, 
purchased and are trying to milk whatever they can out of it seems like they're genuinely invested in making the game better than it ever was and bringing it back to to former heights of glory and so i have to imagine that alliance was something that they thought would be a real contribution to the community and something for keyforge players new and old alike what i haven't been able to do because i haven't been able to play it is see how it works in practice one of the reasons that i think you are exactly correct is because one of the reasons they were touting that this would be good for the game is that it would allow people to use unused decks because that was just a big problem that was mounting that people were complaining about. But if you think of that, like take a step back and think big picture, all the current unused decks that are currently in existence are not their product. What they're pushing is for people to play the game of Keyforge. It is not a, a money grab in that if I were to go into my like literal hundreds of decks sitting in my closet right now and decide to make an alliance pot or make uh, an alliance deck based off three pods of decks I'd never played before. Ghost Galaxy isn't getting any money out of that. And so I think it does fulfill exactly what you said about the it's for their love of the game that they came up with this and probably also the the benefits they think it'll give the game in the future. So let me ask you this question because this is a thing that I'm 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 very curious about is uh in practice how hard is it to track with different decks becoming one deck like I know you know Blake back in the day we did some some sort of like experiments with formats like this in principle um but like how hard is it when you're actually playing in a, in a setting that like is you know perhaps not just with your buddy sitting around a table but is you know a slightly more competitive how hard is it to sort of track the the like the decks that have been chosen and made up and how do you make sure that people are sticking to that or is that even a concern right like i understand that there's been no organized play so you know quote unquote cheating probably isn't a huge issue, but I am curious how in practice difficult it is to sort of track people's alliance decks while they're playing over the course of, you know, several games or what have you, or has that really been an issue at all? Sydney, did you, when you're at KFC, did, what was the registration process for the alliance decks? That so that's done? a great you, question. Did you happen to have any insight into that when you were there? Yeah. So most of the like, official level checking of stuff was for the day twos of all of the different events. And so, but, th but that checking was completely and totally stepped up. So e even me in the, the sealed where I didn't play sealed Alliance, they like looked at the um, sleeves of the cards. And if something was nicked, that card, that sleeve had to be changed. I had to change five sleeves, which was more than I'd ever like ever had to change for any reason ever in the past. And so they were very strict on making sure that the cards could like, they were looking at the sleeves, making sure you couldn't see through them and everything about like playing with the deck that you had created was checked for day two. Day one was much more your opponent's responsibility because um, the, one of the new things about sealed, which is kind of crazy, but just a, another thing we have to swallow is that you can, you're supposed to be able to see the deck list now for sealed. And so that would then allow the opponent to check specifically that you're using the right cards. So it's probably a lot more weight on you to make sure that your opponent is using the right three pods in that moment than, um, than it has ever been before. 
So huh. what? Are, what? Are, I I see your face, and I'm I'm loving that I could see your face right now. So, uh, Rick, <laughs> I actually want your thought on this too. So specifically, seal, seeing the other person's archon card and sealed. What What are your What are your guys' thoughts? Well, because I do sealed with the archon's corner guys, we're still going as was and not looking. Whoa! But with my memory as it is. I don't really look because by turn three, I'll have forgotten everything that I saw. <laughs> you play a lot and, on TCO, right, Rick? Yeah, I do. So does it have, like, what is built into TCO right now? Like, can you see your opponent's uh, list in sealed? Um, the way the Archon's Corner guys, they tick it off oh, so that you right. can. Option. I guess you can or you can choose to or not to. Yeah. Yeah, there's a high deck list feature. <laughs> so yeah, but Alex. Other other than that, I don't usually play sealed on TCO. <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. My 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 ask is to what end? That's what was the rationale for this point. change? So um the okay, let me remember this because it was actually given and specifically because I think it was to curb team the the benefits for teams. Because by the time you're at the top level and you have three teammates who have been scouting your opponent's decks for the past oh. couple of rounds, you know their deck list. They've they've been every single card has been like communicated to you, and you might even like if you can then figure out what deck it is, uh, like be able to like practice against it if the day two is the next day. And so the I think the that's the highest reason on their list. I think another reason on that list is to be able to check for the that somebody's not cheating during sealed uh, alliance but or just normal alliance i guess but um yeah that was that was an idea that was floated around that was given the most credit at the time that it was a shock to the community that's really interesting because that's literally a product of the evolution of the game from inception until now that mm-hmm. there are teams and they are very present at high level tournaments and I guess most of us, like myself, Alex, and Rick, thinking about it, we're just thinking we're at locally playing most of the time. So, like, what is the point? Like, it's fun not knowing what you're going against and having to prepare. But the truth is where the stakes are the most are at the highest level. And that's where you have to combat inequity between one player to the next, essentially. Fantastic yeah. point. I mean, it's it's a bit of a drag, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, I understand the rationale given I don't play at high level like tournaments. Um, so the, the fun of just not knowing is a thing that gets lost in there. And that's one of the things that I thought was really cool about sealed was just that you do not know, you know, and that, you know, uh, now I feel like it's much more of a, uh, you know, it, it brings sealed much closer back to, to other formats, um, it takes away some of some of the secret sauce. Um, but in practice, how have you found that particular change? So that's a, a great question. I, I haven't yet played it where I look at it. So I had to at KFC because those were the rules as written. But again, like I said, by the time I got to the top table, like not that I, I had teams with me, but like I have friends because at KFC, like we were, we're, we're all we're all 
friends at, at the level of people that are choosing to travel during a time where the game hasn't been very active. Um, I was probably a handful of people in that room I didn't know the name of. So it was something where I didn't feel uncomfortable chatting about the matchup before it happened. And other people had played that person. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that my deck list had been communicated to 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 that person because it wasn't a it wasn't I was wasn't a secret wasn't trying to hide it so we did get to look at it there was nothing on there that was surprising to me oh I, I'm talking in a sense of you know that I did very well I got to the top table so I was second place in sealed um, and so the fact that I got that high meant that I played on day two which is why I know all of these things about how they they took care of. Um, making sure that all the rules were followed for day twos. Um, but earlier on in like when we were playing in that room uh, for the first couple of games, I just, I looked and it was, it was part of how we were playing. I didn't, I guess I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a lot less emotional about it now because it was something that hadn't, hasn't happened in so long. I haven't actually played it that way. And so it'll it'll have more impact when it's actually implemented when we play it in our local on a regular basis. But one thing I, I did want to ask is, so we, we mentioned stakes earlier and just a, a random small little tidbit is that when we do get back to playing official play, like really high level vault tours, and they've set up this whole like pyramid structure of doing uh, regionals, nationals, and, and all of that stuff. And now- mm -hmm. Every single high-level tournament is going to have a cash prize of some kind. And that is the, the – actually, your opinions before, before mine. I seem to recall that, you know, before the pandemic, there had been some suggestion of bringing cash into the game. Um, and the, the hand-wringing about that at that time was, oh, this is going to attract the worst kind of player, which – <laughs> might be true um but also at the same time i feel like the incentive um and the reward uh being something tangible like cash seems like a decent uh, you know motivator more than any other thing right like you know if you win a high level tournament or the highest high level tournament i feel like you know that is deserving of a cash prize but it's not going to be like I have to assume it can't be on live on this money um, and people who are solely motivated by cash will probably stick to other more established games with bigger cash payouts because the reward factor and where there's more cash to be won as opposed to like rolling the dice and seeing if you might be able to get through at the highest level in a smaller game with a smaller purse. But uh, that, that's kind of my thinking about it. It doesn't bother me. I probably wouldn't impact me in any real way if I was a regular player again, which could happen. I, I, I have a question regarding this. Um, but uh, Rick, what do you think about cash as a prize? Um, when it was first announced for Vault Warrior way back before pandemic, I thought about it. And it actually scared me, and I almost quit right then and there because winning even smaller amounts would change my life so much. But I know I'm not that caliber. So it just kind of sent me on a roller coaster of emotions. And with my mental health, that was a bad couple days. But um, yeah, and I was also worried about the toxicity coming in because with money involved that's do what you can to win basically is a lot of people's 
ideas and I just don't agree with that. So I was a little bit scared, but I still want to try and get to that caliber, but I'm I'm nervous about it. Sure. A lot of the conversations I had at that time revolved around the fact that um, a lot of people would just choose to put the money back into the game. Like if it cost them that much money to get to a location to play where the place that they won, they would just either like cover those costs or pay to go to the next place, which is actually what FFG did. Like if you won a high level tournament, one of the things you got was a, um, I think it was a flight or something up to a certain amount of money to get to another vault tour. And so um, just like the sentiment's still there from uh, a handful of the community, but it would just, you know, be implemented differently with actual cash. So with this entire new organized play structure coming into effect, what's your read on the actual like community interest in the return? Because as much as I would like to think that I'm not like a competitive person by nature, I have to admit that like a big part of me drifting away from the game, aside from the personal things that I alluded to earlier, was the fact that it was during the pandemic, no organized play at a local level made it very hard for me to stay invested because I just don't find online to be as satisfying to me. I like sitting. I like socializing. I like the experience of chopping it up with other people. And so my thought was always, when there's a return to organized play, that's going to be my signal to go, okay, it's time for me to check in on Keyforge. And it certainly sounds like that's happening. Honestly, Alex, I think that um, we're in a position where it's both amazing and unfortunate all at the same time. So we are able to luckily play locally and we have product to do so in abundance just from the nature of Magic Stronghold being the provider of such great deals and purchasing pallets and pallets of product when the game was in uncertainty. So we have a backlog of product for us to use locally. But I think what I'm starting to notice, and especially with Ghost Galaxy putting the call out to have people put their names forward to host tournaments, uh, et cetera, it's, it's an issue when there isn't product because we had someone, our local Josh was like, Hey, I think we should, you know, put this forward, do this. And I said, honestly, I don't think there's a point in trying to grow the game on a local level. If people cannot buy product, I think if we start putting the energy into that process and then they can't then go to the store and be like, Hey, can I get this? And it's they're like, Oh, we don't have any, it's, it's going to be wasted because they're that excitement they have and that incentive to purchase will have been gone because it's not there so i told him we should just wait and be patient and just allow whatever local friends we have right now who want to come together and see each other because in december as you know we had like a tournament and it was it really felt like a reunion it was a celebration of the game no longer being dead and that we just came together and had a really good time. and But it really just felt like a reunion and hanging out. Like it may have been competitive, but that was secondary to the rekindling of friendships that had been some for some people years before they'd seen each other. And I think that's the approach locally you have to go now is it's a way of reconnecting with people you haven't seen for a while, getting to enjoy the game, what you liked about it, try some new things with stuff that you're familiar with. And that way it's creating a new experience to something that is, we'll call it old. And and then from there, we'll just have to be patient. And then once the game starts coming out, I think that's when we the new product comes out. That's when you start blitzing and, and really trying to recruit and get new people to come in and 
and be consistent with, I will be at the store every week, no matter what, if only two people show up, four people show up, 10 people show up. That's when you want to start pulling people in, going to ask for how to play opportunities and nights for the store to host. And you will actually be there to help show what that looks like. Because until people can actually buy the new hotness, there's no point in putting effort into trying to build that up. So uh, when is the projected date when I will be able to walk into a store and buy new Keyforge product? Or is there one? That hurts. It hurts so much. So (laughs) yes, there is. So recently they came out and said that we are on target for six months from the end of the campaign. And it had been a surprise to a lot of us. And the reason it was a surprise is because in their original GamePound campaign, they put January, February, January nationally, February internationally as their deliver date. But the GameFound specifically didn't let them change that. So like their hands were literally tied in communicating that. And so they communicated it in a, an FAQ that they plan on doing it. Like, I think I don't have it in front of me, but like June or something like that. And then um, unfortunately the like hiccup came when they, their communication of we're on track was also like a sentence in the middle of a paragraph reporting something else entirely to the community. So like, they kind of tried to bury it and it didn't work so good, but it does have a like an, a, a date and everything else that they've communicated has like corroborated that they're on track for that. So I, you know, like it's going to be a summer of Keyforge. Yeah, there you go. I love that attitude. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think a uh, train being stuck in a train yard for like two weeks was also something to do with things why things got delayed yep shipping and all of that stuff and i mean they they've done a lot of communication about how um they're setting up the infrastructure to be able to have complete control over the printing of the game and they're doing a great job on that but you know they're the the setup is a one-time thing that's gonna have its issues well i guess this leads me to the most obvious question i haven't had the opportunity to play the new set I know that some product was around locally, Blake. Uh, I was chatting with with our pal Frank at uh, a club event that I was DJing at that he was photographing. And he was mentioning that somebody had like the new set in hand locally, um, but you know they they weren't playing it just because, as you said, the nature of the event at Magic Kingdom is let's draw from all the palettes of of stuff that they acquired when the game was laying fallow. Have you both had the opportunity to play it, and how is it? Oh, well, I'm lucky enough first. to to get to uh, play it because Sydney sent me two decks from her KFC haul because she did because she placed well. <laughs> she basically got an abundance of decks, and then uh, our good friend uh, Daniel he actually went to KFC, so he had a bunch of stuff. So I brought the two decks that I was given by Sydney to the event, and Daniel brought all his stuff, and he had Unchained decks and whole bunch of those so he allowed people to test them out in between games to give them a a sample and from my own experience is it's really fun and it's keyforge but really different at the same time like it feels like keyforge but you're getting to experience it in a new way that's how i would describe it sydney what's your take 
Oh my god, I love it. I think I'm I'm gonna preface this by I'm completely biased because the first time I played it, I did so well. But I love it because there's like one of the concepts of Keyforge is that everything is unique. And so so far every set has like broken something in a teeny tiny way, in a good way. Like broken as in like made something entirely new that no other set remotely even has. And with this set, the token mechanic, one of the things that you can do in this set that you have to specifically plan around in every other set is you can play a whole game calling a single house. Like if your cards are tokenized of other houses, then it doesn't m- matter like that they're tokens because they're, they're useful on the board and you have your hand and you're, you are, it's, I love it. I love everything about it. It's been a lot of fun to play. And I think that that kind of, it's, unfortunately made me a little bit salty that it'll take so long for me to be able to play that with a lot of other people because I want to, I want to sh- like, I've at this point given away slash opened slash shared as like almost all of the decks I came back with because making second place, I think I got 10. I think I got 10 as a, like on top of like, we got two to do sealed with. And then Chris came home with some, cause my, my husband also went. And so we had like I think a total of 18 decks at one point of Winds of Exchange. And because I'd only played, uh, I'd played Sealed, not Sealed Alliance, I'd only played one deck the whole time. I'd only opened one of them before coming home. And so like since then, we've gone through them all and I just want more. And it's, it's, it's hard that that's going to be what happens. I mean, we're in February now. So like four, February, March, April, May, June, four months from now, four months. And what's the impression that you get from retailers about their enthusiasm for restocking the product? Because I think the other aspect of this is that, I mean, like every other industry, I'm sure that people who own game stores like took a beating for a couple of years and maybe a little more conservative about bringing in product that they aren't sure is going to be supported by a local community. I mean, from my perspective, the fact that you have people locally showing up to play a game that literally has been laying fallow for several years would indicate to me that there is a market for that product to exist. But I also don't know how much of that is a function of the specific circumstances that Vancouver has, the special people involved in our community versus like a more global view. And I could certainly see making the decision as a business owner to be like, we gave this a shot didn't seem like it like even took off to the degree that we expected at the time that it was like in full swing from a major games publisher. Why am I rolling the dice again now? Honestly, I think the, the greater issue is, is not that it's that there is more competition in terms of card games to be played, I think is actually the greater issue. I mean, for us locally, one of the issues is getting a time slot because Digimon is a thing now and it's apparently a good game. There's the classic games that have always existed. And then Flesh and Blood came out like a bat out of hell and just mm-hmm. took over the scenes in a lot of places and was really scratching an itch people needed. And so the p- more greater issue is, is how do you accommodate another game, I think, than anything else? It's I- the time and the space to play. Absolutely. And we've been experiencing a vicious cycle of we don't have product. So people don't want to come out to play. And if people don't want to come out to play, my game store can't guarantee us a space in the week. And if he can't guarantee us a space in the week, then why is he going to buy product for a game he's not going to guarantee us because nobody's showing up like it's a it's a triangle, vicious triangle that we have going on here. And I think that like, I when I came home, 
from KFC and had all this product, we threw an event and the event was incredibly successful at our game store. And he actually put us in for a couple of Tuesdays and no one showed up. And so then we had like a deep discussion and now there's something else in there for Tuesdays. And I told him that once it comes out and he can buy product, I'm going to put in as much effort at that point in time that I did like showing up with my Winds of Exchange decks that we literally, like we gave away my prizes from KFC at this event at my game store to have like to incentivize people to show up. So like, it's going to take a lot of community investment and involvement. And I think that that just that that spark has to start from somewhere for there to be retail interest. But yes, so um, another another couple of things uh, that I I just want to get want to get your take on. So um, do you uh, you probably played Mass Mutation before you guys ended up. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So guess what Ghost Galaxy found in the Master Vault? Actually, if I can speak on that for a minute. Sure. When when the news dropped about Sky Jedi, I figured that he was the one that found it or something. I was just like... It That's was probably all the way in there, but yeah, who knows? So I was ex- I was excited for that news. Oh, totally. So I'm just gonna like quote real quick. So uh, Michael Hurley, one of the employees of Ghost Galaxy in um, Archon's Corner Discord, uh, they were just having a conversation about the enhancement data being found, and he said we were told the enhancement data didn't exist, so we weren't actively looking for it. But one of the devs who was working on the Master Vault migration was doing an audit of the data we received from FFG related to the transfer, and he found it. So it was sitting there the whole time, and now we know exactly where the enhancements are on each card in the Master Vault, like the the official um, store place that our decks are that we use for all these other things now has these in it. So was it just not API accessible, or were they just like literally not aware of their own data? Nobody knows because it is t- the TCO that uses an API to like take everything from the master vault ha- has it now like it automatically like they've already programmed TCO to automatically apply the enhancements to the correct cards. And suddenly a bunch of decks with suspiciously good enhancements <laughs> just evaporate. <laughs> Weird. Um, no, that's that's interesting, if only because it really does actually speak to. Like, look, I'm not going to sit here and and crap all over FFG. You know, obviously, they're the ones who originally brought Keyforge to the table. But there was a lot of very puzzling decisions and a lot of very puzzling, like, statements from them over the years that never made sense to me. And one of them was literally the, we can't tell where the enhancements ended up. And I'm like, how is that even possible? How could you not have that data? Like, you generated it. Did that just, like, float off into the, you know you know into the ether after it happened like so it just speaks to i think a level of just disinterest um in or spoke to a level of disinterest in engaging with the community and making the game everything it could be so yeah i mean uh, it's really cool that they found that and really cool that you know it exists but also like one of those, not to, to reopen old wounds, but certainly it sounds like Ghost Galaxy is a little more interested in, uh, you know, actually, uh, you know, being forthright and uh, uh, open about this kind of stuff. So. Totally. Yeah. 
Well, um, of course, we cannot end an episode without our titular segment. And of course, we call this one Help from Future Self. self. And Alex, uh, there was definitely something we wanted to bring up on this episode, and you so eloquently phrased it. So I'm just going to pass this over to you to share the, the Help from Future Self for this week. All right. And it's it's an appropriate one given sort of uh, me and Rick returning to the podcast this week, I think. Uh, Rick alluded to it earlier. Um, Luke Olson, Sky Jedi, um, obviously like a huge name in the Keyforge community for years at this point, basically almost since inception of the game uh, in providing tools for people to enjoy Keyforge um, and get people into the game and keep people engaged with the game over the course of years, has been hired by Ghost Galaxy as a game developer, working on Keyforge and possibly other things as well. Um, And that really got me thinking about the idea that what you can contribute to the game is not necessarily always going to feel like uh, it is being acknowledged, but there is room for the company that owns Keyforge to engage with content creators, bring them into the fold and take what they've contributed and recognize that, which leads into, I think the bigger idea of when you are contributing to Keyforge um, as a, as a community member, whether it's by being a tournament organizer locally, whether it is a person who creates tools that other players can use to play online, whether it is as a person who podcasts or writes essays or makes YouTube videos, you are contributing to the game in a real tangible way. And the company is in fact aware of that. This is not just a case of, you know, Joe, any game developer, you know, getting hired. It's somebody who was an integral part of making Keyforge what it is. And so I I really do think that it's a reminder that your contributions do not go unnoticed. You can have an impact in what you do to contribute. And I know it's easy to feel sometimes if you're a person who makes content, if you're a person who creates tools that you are unappreciated for doing that. And this is just one of those little reminders that what you put out into the world can sometimes come back and, and, you know, impact your life in an enormous way, not just from the pleasure of being able to play more Keyforge with other people, but also in ways that could, you know, get you a job, help you meet other people, form new friendships. So uh, there's a, there's a real, like it's a, it's a feel good story and a reminder that, you know, what you do does not fall on deaf ears. There are, there is certainly opportunity there for what you do to become, uh, you know, tangibly rewarding as well as I think just sort of the general reward of the doing itself. I love it. That's beautiful. All right, so we are on Discord, and you can find the link in the show notes for that. You can find me on TCO and Discord as SC Steel. Blake, where can people find you? You can find me on the Discord under Boulevard Blake number sign 3840. Pretty absent from TCO, and uh, I am going to be absent for the next little bit with a lot of life things going on. So I'm going to be taking my own little hiatus for about a month, but I promise I will be back. And uh, yeah, so if you if you really need to ask me a question, then Discord is the way to go. Awesome. Alex, where can people find you and, and what else do you have going on right now? 
Well, uh, although I've been absent from this podcast and largely absent from Keyforge, I have been forging on with my other podcast. We have a technical on my website, idieudie.com. Those have both been going for 10 years at this point. So uh, you can find us at idieudie.com. You can find we have a technical online, discussions of industrial and related genres of music. Um, I'm not really doing any Twitch DJing anymore, um, so I guess don't bother looking for me there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you're interested in hitting me up on Twitter, um, at Arlex, R-L-E-X, uh, would be a place to find me as well. That's awesome. And thank you again for, for coming on. Rick, what about you? Where can people find you? You can find me on Discord and TCO at Rickster78. And newsflash that I was telling everybody else here, just before we started recording, you will be able to find me on Twitch as I'm going to be streaming Marvel Snap and Keyforge. The site upcoming because I have not made it yet. I will wow. let everybody know. Fantastic. Yeah. If you throw that in the Discord, I'm sure everybody will see it. Um, thank you all so much. This has been fantastic. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Help from Future Self. Until then, stay forging.